just couldn't resist it. I told God that if there was a parking spot right in front of the donut shop as I was driving by, then that must be his will that I would pull in and get a dozen donuts. And after circling the block about eight times, that spot opened up right in front of the donut shop. So it must have been the will of God. Now, it's a bit of a joke, but I'm guessing that we all have something in our life that we think those thoughts, we wrestle with. There's the temptation. The other kryptonite for me are Big Macs. My word, when I see the golden arches, it's like the car just starts pulling over and I'm like, I can't help it. Now that they have an app and with deals and points, it's sad how many free Big Macs I've been getting. But I guess nothing really comes for free. But we all have these things and it's like, we really don't want to, but we end up doing it anyways. We buy it or we click it or we eat it or we drink it or we smoke it or we say it or we bet on it or we tell someone about it because we had to, we just couldn't resist. So if you've ever felt vulnerable to give in to temptation, something that you really know, like I shouldn't do this, and you probably don't want to, well, Jesus actually understands. So the title of today's message is, When the Urge is Too Strong. And the good news is, is that this morning, we're going to get to know the one who is stronger than our urges, and the one who always gives us a way out. So Father, we pray today that in the name of Jesus, that your word will speak to us, convict us, empower us, and give us a way out so that we can always honor you in all that we do. We pray this in faith, believing. And all God's people said, amen. So we're in a message series called Been There. And for the most part, whatever it is you're facing, you're wrestling with, you're carrying, Jesus has been there. He understands. And what I wanna do today is if you've got something in your life that you think like, man, like, I really wish I wasn't doing that. I really wish I, I, I could stop, but you just seem to keep doing it. Well, I want you to listen to the message through the lens of that struggle, through the lens of that temptation that just seems too difficult to defeat. So if you've been tempted to say it, to look at it, to touch it, to eat it, whatever it is, Jesus understands. Because scripture actually tells us this in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter four, the word of God says, then Jesus one time was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. And that is reassuring. Now I'm gonna read you the most obvious verse in all of the Bible and it's this. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Like, yeah, I bet he was. He was just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says he was hungry. So Jesus is hungry and the tempter Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Even Jesus, the son of God, knows what it's like to be tempted by the devil. So what does it mean to be tempted? Well, I want to give you a definition that I like from Tim Challies. He, he defines temptation this way. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of your obedience to God. It's something that promises satisfaction. 
but it leads you away from the will and the purposes of God. And you know in your own life, you've got those things. We all do. And you may be hurting, and the drink or the pill just takes the pain off. It, it takes off the edge. It dulls it, even though you end up disobeying God. Or maybe you're looking at something that you know you shouldn't be looking at, and you binge on porn, and it promises the thrill and the relief, and it gives you that temporarily for a moment, but then you're filled with shame and disgust and depression, and you feel even more alone than you did before. Or you're feeling low, you're feeling down, you feel unworthy, and so you justify gossiping about others. And you think, well, if I just put this person down, it's going to make me feel better for a little while. But temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of your obedience to God. And so I want to talk about it today. And we're going to start with what I call the process of temptation. And it's how we're actually tempted. And then we're going to look at how we can overcome temptation. So many people say that there's four different steps in the process of temptation. The first one is the thought. It starts as just a thought in your mind. The second would be you start imagining it. Your imagination starts taking over. The third step is there's justification. So you've been thinking it, you're imagining it, now you're starting to figure out how can I justify this. And then there's the choice. Those are the four steps in the process of temptation. So temptation starts with the thought, and you think something like, man, I feel kind of depressed. Maybe I should buy a new outfit, and that would make me feel better, because then I would start looking better. So then you start imagining it, and you think, oh, man, I actually would feel pretty good sporting a new tracksuit or <laughs> whatever it is. So then you start justifying it, like, okay, I've been working so hard that I deserve this. And if there's one, two on 20% off, well, then it's justified, right? Like, I can definitely get this. So then you get to the choice, which is if I go to the website and I see this for 20% off, I'm going to buy it. And then I'm going to buy the watch and the shoes and everything else that goes with it because I got to have the whole thing to, in order to properly glorify God with excellence in all that I do. <laughs> so it starts with a thought. And it might not be something as simple as shopping. It might be a thought like, I'm bored. Like, what should I do with my time? What should I look at? What should I watch? And suddenly you're like, well, there is this person who posts, posts bikini photos on Instagram. Like, maybe I should just go there. Like, this guy who's looking fly on Instagram. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> man, I'm really dating myself. <laughs> but you have this thought, then you have the imagination. You start thinking about it and ruminating on it. And then it shifts to the justification. And you're like, well, this person's putting the photos out there. My, my spouse isn't putting photos out there. So it, it's, I'll just look. Like, I don't know if you ever heard the thing, like, you're just looking at the menu. You're not ordering anything. Like, it's, you start justifying these things. And you're thinking it's no big deal. And then you make a choice to actually go there and you start looking and you're like, okay, I need to be super careful that I don't double tap and like this photo, but I need to zoom in just to make sure I know how to pray for them better. But you make a choice and it starts with the thought. And that's why what happens in those first critical moments of temptation are far more important than you could ever imagine. So what we want to do is we want to decide now how we're going to fight and with the help of God's word, overcome the temptation of the evil one. So what I want to do is give you three truths about temptation. And the first thing, it might surprise you, but I want you to recognize that number one, it's not a sin to be tempted. 
It's not a sin to be tempted. Some people think like, oh man, I've already been tempted. I failed, so I might as well just go through with it now. But it's not a sin to be tempted. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus, he understands every weakness of ours. Why? Because he was tempted in every way that we are. But he didn't sin. Temptation is not a sin. You're going to be tempted. That's not the sinful part. And that's why you have to understand that becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. Sadly, you're more likely to be tempted because the devil's not threatened when you're doing his will or when you're not doing anything. But when you step into the light, when you step away from darkness, you start honoring and glorifying God, temptation is going to hit. I've said that about those who choose to be baptized. Like, man, the days and weeks leading up to baptism and the days and weeks and months following, you're going to be hit hard. And I even feel like as a church collectively, as we're growing and gaining momentum and seeing lives being changed and transformed, as a church, we're going to be tempted to tempted to be tempted to focus on the wrong things, maybe be tempted to focus inward or start bickering with one another because the devil doesn't want us to grow. So don't be surprised when the enemy attacks when you're being obedient to God. You're gonna be tempted. And when you're tempted again, don't blame God. We can't say, oh, God's tempting me. God's doing this because God isn't tempting you. God may test you, but he'll never tempt you. Scripture tells us this. James chapter one says, remember when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me because God never tempts anyone. So where does temptation come from? Well, it comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And what do those desires do? They give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So God may test you, but he's not tempting you. Well, why would God test you then? Well, he's testing you to help grow you and develop you. God tests you almost in a way to promote you, if we can use this imagery, because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to move forward. He wants to help you grow. The devil will tempt you to fail. He wants to pull you back and keep you away from the will and the purpose of God but we have to continually understand that it's not a sin to be tempted. The second truth is very important. That is, you're most vulnerable to temptation when you're weak and when you think you're strong. Both. You're vulnerable to giving into temptation in those genuine weak moments, but you're also equally or maybe more vulnerable to temptation when you think you're strong, when you think, I don't need anybody. I've got this. Like, I am flying high, like things are good. Look at when Satan tempted Jesus, when he was weak, when he was hungry, 40 days, 40 nights, he hadn't eaten. The devil doesn't come up to him and say, hey, let's go gossip about Peter. No, he says, turn these stones into bread. Why? Because he attacked where Jesus was weak. He attacked his hunger. And that's what's going to happen for us. And that's why it's important for us to be honest about where we're weak, where we're vulnerable, because you're only as strong as you are honest. And the reality is that you're going to be vulnerable and weak to areas that I might not be, and vice versa. I'm going to be vulnerable and weak to areas where you're not. 
But that's where we can be open and honest and transparent with one another to confess our needs, to pray for one another that we may be healed. And you may be tired sometimes. Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., I know it's not the most ideal church service time. Battling with tiredness, heck, I'm a little tired now. So I need to be on guard because it's those moments where you're tired that the devil can just creep in and just wreak havoc. And when you're angry, you're vulnerable. You've got something going bad. Is something bad going on at home? You're vulnerable. You're angry at everybody. You're ticked at the world. You're very vulnerable to temptation. Or when you're lonely, when you're hurting, when you're hungry. And we need to be aware of these times when we're vulnerable and we have these weak moments and, or when we think we're strong. And some of you right now might be thinking like, man, I'm so glad Kev's preaching on this because like my spouse needs to hear this. Like he's a mess, he's a sinner, he needs it. Or like I'm so sending this off to my friend because they've been sinning, they need to hear it. Let that be a caution to you that God might be needing to speak to you in this moment because we're all guilty of it. Like, I know it's so tempting to be like, oh man, like Amanda's gonna love this one. (laughs) But that's when God needs to speak to me, if I'm thinking those things. Because when you're pointing at somebody else saying, I don't need this message, I think that's when we're at our most vulnerable. In fact, scripture tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think that, I don't need anybody, I've got this, be very careful that you don't fall. There are times when you're vulnerable because you're weak, and there's times you're vulnerable because you think you're strong. And I know I've shared this before in the, the past, so if you've heard this before, forgive me, but several years ago when I was still living at West, I went through the ringer with the pastor that I served under. And I was just starting to grow resentment and bitterness in my heart towards this guy. And I remember praying and driving in my car and I was talking to God and I had such an intimate and close prayer life. So I was just venting and and spewing my anger. And I remember clearly thinking to myself, there is no way this guy will ever get rid of my prayer life or ruin my prayer life. Like, I just, that was the one thing that I'm like, okay, God, it's you and me. Like, there's no way he's going to destroy that. And the fact is, he didn't destroy that. I did. I thought I was stronger than I was. And I allowed that bitterness and resentment to actually move me further and further away from Christ to the point that I don't even know when it happened. But one day I woke up and realized, man, I haven't talked to God in a long time. I was just so angry. We're most vulnerable when we think we're strong. And that's why scripture warns us to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I have to tell you right now, he is out looking to devour you, your marriage, your finances, your testimony, He wants to rob you of peace. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy the lives of your children. And we need to understand and stay alert and be on guard that Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. 
And I don't often use this imagery because sometimes it's more palpable or soft and nice to be like, no, like Christianity is loving everyone and absolutely we love people. But this is a battleground where the forces of darkness are attacking. And the more that we do the will of God, the more the forces of darkness will come against us. Amanda and I have actually had several different conversations with different people in the past few weeks about the devil attacking. And they're like, I don't know what's going on, but like, we've been sick all the time. We've been fighting all the time. Like, there's just things keeping us away. And one family is actually even wrestling with coming to church on a Sunday. They're just like, every time we say we're going to come to church on Sunday and we're going to be there, and they're like, we don't show up. And it's not because we don't like you guys. It's not because we don't want to. There's things that the devil is just throwing at them. And they didn't really articulate it as spiritual warfare. But then I know Amanda was like, I, I think that's some spiritual warfare going on because her and I feel it, big holidays, uh, Christmas, Easter, whoo. Or if we have a baptism service coming up, like the devil is just out and we're bickering with one another and arguing. And sometimes we just have to stop and say, okay, what's actually going on here? But if you know the devil is coming, shut the door through which he'll likely enter. Because he comes in the same door over and over again. That's what I've usually found. We all have this one door or this window that, that's left open, and he just keeps coming in and out. And I've discovered that temptation often comes through a door that's been deliberately left open. Because the thing is, we, we might deal with most of the issue, but then we like to leave that sliver open just in case. Almost every time you give in to something that you gave into before, the reason you gave into it again after you gave into it before is because you deliberately left the door open. And I'm not gonna lie, I have binged on Sour Patch Kids and sour cream and bacon chips and chips and salsa and you name it, ice cream. <laughs> but I have never binged on them when I didn't have them nearby, when I didn't have them available, never. I've never sat down and eaten 400 Sour Patch Kids if they weren't there. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And that's why one of the best ways to resist temptation is to eliminate it. The first time I heard a similar quote to this, it was one of the best ways to resist temptation is to avoid it. But I like this even better. Eliminate it. Get rid of it. Don't even go near it. Lock the door. Throw away the key. Make the devil try and come in through another entrance. He came in here before. Well, he's not doing it again. Proverbs says it this way, 4.14, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evildoers. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it. Go on your own way. In other words, I'll just say it again. Avoid it. Don't go near the trouble. Don't travel that way. Turn from it. Go on your way. Kind of like the donut shop at the beginning. If the donut shop on the way to work is your temptation, go a different way. Eliminate it from your daily travels. If you know where the devil might attack, close the door so we can't get in. If you've got a problem with alcohol, well, don't host life group at the bar. 
I know it sounds simple, but we do it all the time. It's like, yeah, I've got a problem, but I can resist it. The willpower, the white knuckling. Or if every time you go to the gym, you find yourself kind of like your eyes are just glancing and glaring more. I had a friend one time, this was years ago, and he just looked at me and he said, thank God for yoga pants. I'm like, dude, if that's your issue, work out at home. Get, uh, get an app on your phone, Apple Fitness, whatever. There's so many different things you can do. If every time you get on Instagram, you're thinking, my life sucks. I hate this person. I hate this person. They have it so much better than me. You're, con you're comparing yourself and you're just miserable. Get off Instagram. If you find yourself at the office enjoying the presence of someone else that's not your spouse and you're a married person, well, you're all flirty, flirty, you're putting on a bit more cologne, you're kind of getting excited to go in for the day. Let me just tell you right now, it might seem extreme, it might seem crazy, but ask to be transferred to a different department. Consider getting a new job if that is on the table right now. Because the reality is, you don't want to mess with it. That will mess your life up. The devil's coming. Turn from it. Avoid it. Walk away from it. Go on your way. One of the best ways to resist temptation is just to eliminate it, to close the door completely. Whatever it is, do it what's within your power. And the question is, I believe I asked a similar question last year when we were going through our pre-decide series. Why would I resist a temptation in the future if I had the power to eliminate it today. We can make decisions now that will change our future. So scripture tells us that it's not a sin to be tempted. You're most vulnerable when you're weak or whenever you think that you're strong. And then third, God will always give you a way out. No matter what it is you're facing, God will always give you a way out of temptation. Paul promised us this this powerful life-giving promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says that our God is faithful. He's good. He's righteous. He's pure. Our God is faithful through and through. And he's so faithful that our God will not let you be tempted beyond whatever it is you can bear. But when you are tempted, our faithful God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it every single time. No matter what it is, no matter where it is, no matter what you're facing, no matter how many times you've given into it before, our God will always give you an exit. I think sometimes we just don't want to look for the exit. We've gone so far in the process. But he will always give you an off-ramp. He'll always give you a way out. It is a faithful and true promise of the living word of God that every single time he gives you a way out. And the way out is through the word of God. The word will show you the way out. The word of God is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And It's not that when you're tempted, you go to the Bible and say, okay, I'm just going to do this instead. I know that some people have been given that advice. This one girl in youth ministry one time, she, she came to me and she said, Kev, like, I've been trying to get help with, with these struggles. And every time I talk to my youth pastor, he just says, well, anytime you feel tempted, just go to the Bible. And she's like, I don't know what to read. And it doesn't really help me. But the thing was, they had that backwards. It's not that, oh, I'm tempted. I'm just going to go to the Bible. Like that is an option. 
But we need to be living in the word now. We need to be soaking in the word. We need to be reading it and meditating it and memorizing it and understanding it so that when temptation comes, we are already equipped with the word of God to be able to fight back. So it's not like, oh my goodness, there's the attack coming. I'm going to go pick it up now. It's like, no, we've already been soaking in it that when the attack comes, we're able to fight back against it just like Jesus did. When he was tired and hungry and vulnerable, the devil said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He fought back with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So then the devil said, hey, why don't you throw yourself off this mountain and let the angels of God come and save you? And Jesus quoted the word and said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus had already been living in the word. The devil came at him again and he said, hey, why don't you just bow down to me? Bow down, worship me, and I'm going to give you everything you see. The devil came at him again and again and again, and I think the devil's going to come at us again and again and again, but when we're living in the word, the devil will eventually flee. So he says, bow down to me, worship me. I'm going to give you everything. Jesus quoted the word again and says, get away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We've got to be living in the word of God, internalizing the word of God so that we can fight back with the word of God. The word will give you a way out. Be alert be alert, church. Be alert, saints. Be alert, believers. The devil is like a roaring lion trying to devour you, trying to take you down, take you out, ruin your testimony, ruin the lives of your kids, lying to you, lying to them, trying to talk you out of the will of God. And he promises satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. He promises the thrill of the hit at the cost of your obedience to God. So be alert, be on guard. Amanda and I, we're coming up on 15 years of marriage this June, which is crazy. I can't believe how fast time goes. But it was just after our fourth anniversary that her and I were out on a hike, on a hike in North Vancouver. And as we're hiking, we're just in silence, which is pretty shocking for me, because if you know me, I like to talk. But we were just walking along, and I had this inner battle going on. You see, we had been married for four years, and I had never let her in on my struggle, my addiction with pornography. I had been battling it on my own. It had started grade 10 when my parents got their first computer at home. And my friend and I just started looking up celebrities and looking up different things, and links came up, and my life was altered. But I thought, well, once I get married, it's going to go away. Like, then I have a wife, like, it's all great. Well, sadly enough, it didn't go away. And I had shared stuff with her before we got married, and she knew that, yeah, I'd looked at stuff, I had struggled here and there, but for four years, I kept this a secret. She had no idea. And when I told her that on this hike, because I just couldn't take it anymore within me, she just broke down and wept. She was angry, and rightly so. I, I was keeping this, this a secret from her. 
And I want to tell you about any and every sin, and I know that's not a popular word in our culture today, but anything contrary to the will and the way of God is called sin. And any sin that you're struggling with, whether it's a moment of lust, whether it's gossiping, whether it's whatever, fill in the blank, never ever under any circumstance is it worth it. It destroys your life. It destroys others. It destroys your relationship with God. And I was broken. And as I see Amanda weeping, I broke down and I wept and I apologized and I repented. And that's actually what then got me into counseling because I'm like, I need this more than I need to learn pastoral counseling. I need my own. And this was one of the issues that we laid on the table and we said, I am addicted. I am struggling. I need help. And Amanda came to the first several sessions with me so that she could also learn how to process some of it and walk with me. And what's been incredible is we've been able to walk with other couples through the same addiction since. A moment of lust is sin, and it's never worth it. And it's starting to become more normal in our culture today. And people are like, well, it's not such a big deal. Why don't you watch stuff together? I don't know. There's different views. But it's a big deal. By God's standards, the love that I have in my heart for him, the love that I have in my heart for my wife, it's a big deal. Because I don't want to dishonor God. I don't want to dishonor my wife. And I was broken about it. And what happens is at some point, we're all going to sin. It's just a fact of life. And there's two responses to it. We're going to be sorry about it, hopefully. If you're not sorry about it, if you're past the point of feeling bad about it, that's a whole other message that we need to talk about. But assuming that you still feel sorry, there are two types of sorrow. There is worldly sorrow, and this is where some of us might be right now, where someone confronts you about something, and you're defensive. It's not that big of a deal. You're argumentative. You push back on it. Like, it's just like, well, like, look at how good of a husband I've actually been in all these other areas. Like, you don't want to deal with the actual issue. You're more sorry that you got caught. Like, my first speeding ticket, I broke down to the officer, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure you're sorry that you got caught. And I'm like, ooh, busted. <laughs> but you make excuses and you minimize the pain. And that kind of sinfulness, it, it takes you away from God. That's a worldly sorrow. But the other type of sorrow in scripture is called godly sorrow. And it's this deep, sincere brokenness over what you've done. And it's decisive and a marked, genuine humility and repentance. And you're saying, God, I'm so sorry. Like your heart is breaking. It's an awareness that you've hurt him, that you've hurt someone else. And you're not sad that you got caught. You're sad that you've broken the heart of God. You've sinned against someone else. And it's this humility of receiving God's mercy that you don't deserve and you could never, ever earn. And I believe it changes you. It makes you different. You don't want to do that thing anymore because God changes your heart. There's a worldly sorrow and that's where you might be right now. It's not my fault. It's not that big of a deal. You've got your own problems. Who are you to point this out? But then there's a brokenness. Clean. I need to confess. I need to repent. That is a godly sorrow. If the urge feels too strong and you give in, 
Run to God, confess it to him. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this isn't a worldly sorrow. Like it's not, I'm not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just mad I got caught. No, this is a God change me. I don't want this anymore. And this leads to salvation. Leads to salvation with no regret. You see, scripture tells us godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. One is this brokenness where you draw near to God. You receive his grace, his love, his forgiveness. And the other one is a defensive where you move away from God. You're like, I don't need that. That's not for me. Sure, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for getting caught. I'll do better next time. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. And it is never okay. It is never worth it. So what do we do? We cry out to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, change us. Forgive us. Father, we ask that you would do a work within us and a work within our church. God, turn our hearts away from all the filth and sinfulness of this world and turn our eyes toward you. And as we're praying today, to those of you who say, I want to honor God with a life of righteousness, I'm just going to ask, would you just simply lift up your hand? And I hope it's all of us. I hope we're all saying, God, I want to honor you. I want to honor God and all that I say and all that I do and how I live. So Father, I pray right now for those who have been stuck in darkness, those who go back to the same old sins. Give us the wisdom to lock the doors, to close the windows. Anywhere we can resist and eliminate it, God, give us the wisdom to do it. Give us the courage to be honest in our life groups, in, in our relationships with those trusted individuals. And if we don't have that, God, I pray that we'll join a life group or find some people that we can trust and confess these things to. God, we confess to you for forgiveness, but we also want to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. God, I pray that there will be confession. Even today, before the end of the day, God, we confess our sins before those that we trust and we pray for healing. We thank you that no matter what temptation comes our way, that by your grace and your goodness and your power, you will always give us a way out. May your word lead us out of temptation and into your will. God, I pray that you would break the bondage that has held so many people hostage. Set us free. In the name of your risen son, Jesus, we pray. Forgive us, set us free. Godly sorrow with repentance leads to salvation and leaves no regret. God, you are such a good God. Forgive us of our sins, save us by your grace, make us new, fill us with your spirit so that we can serve you and know you and follow you for the rest of our lives. Thank you for new life as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.